The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joe Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 7200. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. It's always amazing to me that real-life attorneys get juries to say the verdict that they're hoping that they say, just like the attorneys on TV. Now, TV we know is all fake and scripted, but... Here's an attorney with us right now to share the real secrets, the real inside track about how juries respond and how attorneys work those juries. Welcome to the show, Wayne Schoenberg. Nice to have you with us. Joel, good to be with you. Hey, listen, man, there is a lot of art to your business. So I'd like you to just kind of open the book a little bit and share a few things with us on how this works and what happens. Because those of us that have ever been in the system in, in any capacity as jurors or anything else, just have to marvel at what you guys do. Well, it's part art and part science. It's not something that you really are born into. I attribute a lot of my success to a fellow by the name of Charlie Shaw. Charlie was a famous lawyer when I first started practicing law. And just luckily, just by a stroke of luck, I got to know him when I was in high school because my mother used to work in the recorder of deeds office. And if I wanted the car to go to high school, I had to take my mother to work. And so when I'd come back, I'd go into the courtroom and this guy by the name of Charlie Shaw would be in there working his magic. And he sort of adopted me from an early age. The Now, the problem is I tried my first three or four jury trials trying to be Charlie Shaw, and that, that didn't work. But here's what I learned. You have to start the trial with the attitude that the jury is there to help you. A lot of people go into a trial and they're afraid of a jury trial. They're afraid of what that jury is going to do to them or to their client or to their case because they don't have confidence either in themselves. They don't have confidence in their case. They don't have confidence in their clients. And you have to get over that fear that the jury and that thought that the jury's working against you. 
those 12 people have been selected. Well, you know, first you start sometimes with 100 people and you start asking them questions. And I'll talk a little bit about that, about how, how that process works and what I do in that process. But those people who come there and nobody comes there wanting to, to be on a jury or be selected for jury duty, or very few people do. But they're there to do a job and they want to, it's human nature. They want to do what's right and they want to come to the right decision. So what you have to do is explain to them from the opening questions in Board Dyer why the right thing to do is to decide for your client. A Board Dyer, as you know, is the jury selection process and it's done different ways in different jurisdictions. In Missouri, we start with a pool. We don't do that individual thing that you see on television where they have one juror come in and Right, no, we, we do we do a pool in California too. Okay. So we're asking questions of fifty people. Before you start, you have to have your story. Let, let me put it to you differently. I only run to the end of this story. The hero in the jury trial story, the hero in the event that's going on there is the jury. So you have a protagonist, you have an antagonist, and you have a hero who comes to save the day. And that hero is the jury. When they see the injustice that is being done to your client, they want to step in and stop that injustice. So the whole process in, in my theory is to set up the jury from the very beginning to be the hero in the story. So you start by telling, go ahead. So I, I can imagine that that attitude must permeate uh, the way that you deal with those people and the respect that you show those people and they must feel it. Oh, well, I, I once had a bailiff tell me, he said, I've never seen a board dire like that. I thought you were going to get in the jury box with them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you start out with 50, let's say 50 strangers and the judge starts the case by giving them a little synopsis, as little as possible. He might say, uh, Mr. Smith here is charged with murder in the first degree, or Mr. Smith, the state alleges that Mr. Smith molested this child, or, or John Jones claims that Dr. Goodknife cut out the wrong liver and he's forever injured. So they have a little synopsis and they immediately come to an opinion. Oh, it's one of those medical malpractice cases where those people are just trying to hit the jackpot and make a lot of money. And, and uh, you can see it on their faces. You can see their body's language shift. If you do criminal law, and that's all I do anymore, you immediately see people look at the defendant when the judge says he's charged with molesting a you know 15-year-old girl. Nobody looks at him and smiles and nods. They all, they all get that bad look on their face. So you start by, and the state, of course, goes first with the Bordar, but you, you, you find what it is, you find the weakness in, in the other person's case or the strength in your case, and you start at the very beginning by asking them questions. You know where you're going with this, and you ask them questions that start getting their minds to agree with your point of view. 
uh, you know, right off the top of my head, Joel, I can't, I can't think of well, anything. Let's, 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 uh, let's think about how that happens. And, and by the way, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but I was on a jury one time and I actually was the foreman of the jury. And I'm not surprised. Well, and, and, and we convicted the guy. I mean, we, we got a unanimous uh, agreement. So mm-hmm. I've been through this process and, and I will tell you as a juror, uh, these 12 people who came from enormously different backgrounds uh, that were not friends during the case and, and are not friends after the case, we had a job to do. And I will tell you, these people took this job as seriously as I've ever seen anybody take any job. I, I, it's one of the most remarkable things that came out of it for me was how seriously people took our system. Absolutely. Once that, That's the thing that bothers me. One of the things that bothers me about the, the attitude about jury duty Nobody wants, you know, that's a mistake we make. We call it jury duty. It ought to be jury privilege. But everybody has the wrong attitude about it. And once they get on, they really, really, really work hard to come to, to the right decision. And I will tell you that I think 95% of the time they do. There are some errors. Yeah, you know, listen, most of the time the jury gets it right. Most yeah. of the time. And, yeah. you know, uh, I will tell you that one of the really extraordinary things about my experience was that uh, there was a judge that came into the jury waiting area. You know, like like 400 of us are sitting in like a big room and then they take, say, 50 or 100 people and they put them in a courtroom and they, they start going through the picking process. And this judge at eight o'clock in the morning comes in and says, uh, thank you very much for coming here. I know this isn't fun. You got many more fun things to do. But uh, but we we need you. He proceeds to explain why they need us. And when he explained it, everybody kind of caught on. And what he basically said was, and this is a long time ago already, and I still remember it. He said, um, you know, we try to get the attorneys to settle the case so we don't use up a lot of resources, you know. And we we remind them that we have uh, a bunch of crazy people downstairs ready to make the decision for you if you cannot make this decision for yourself. So truthfully, we hope we don't need you. We really use you as leverage to get other people to be rational. And, 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 you know that. You ever heard that before? No, I haven't. <laughs> that, that judge, it was it was remarkable. And and you know what? That really elevated the role of the jurors. I mean, boy, that really. I mean, talk about the hero. I mean, the jurors really do have all the power in that. When you think of it like that. Absolutely. The, the jury is the hero in the story. They save the day. And you're right. They do. They, they make, I can't. You know, I've tried probably now 250 jury trials, and I can't think of one where they got it totally wrong. Now, I've had any number of people that we thought were going to be found guilty found not guilty. So they are, um, they are on the side of not guilty. Yes, yes. They, they did their job properly. They, they, they applied the reasonable doubt theory. Yeah. I've had, I've had people who truly were not guilty who were found not guilty, but I have never had a person who was factually not guilty found guilty. Mm. I've never had a wrongful conviction. So, um, I've had convictions where you you think, oh, that was so close. They, they could have let the guy off, but they didn't. Um, I, if you don't mind, I'll tell you a story. 
Go ahead. Let's have the story. All right. This is a drug. If I'm not mistaken, it's a drug possession case. And the evidence wasn't real, real strong. So we're going to pick a jury and I look out into the crowd and here's this woman who I'm pretty sure I know from the community and I'm pretty sure that she is a hardcore drug user. But they ask the questions, anybody know Mr. Schoenberg? No, no, I see nobody raises their hand or she doesn't anyway. And so I go through the thing and I'm thinking, uh, well, maybe I'm wrong. I go back and we go to the, have the trial and the jury goes back to deliberate and they're back there a couple of hours and finally they come back with a conviction. She ended up on the final, on the final 12 and they, they come back with a conviction. Guy's taken away and um, afterwards she comes up to me and starts talking to me. And I realize that, in fact, she is who I thought she was. She's this, this drug user and uh, known kind of drug character around town. And I thought, I said to her, I said, you know, I would think that with your history, you would have voted not guilty for the guy. For the guy. She said, oh, no, no. The, he was clearly the fact showed he was clearly guilty. And I just, you know, you know it's a funny thing. I've actually uh, seen the same thing, that uh, the people that are the closest to the situation of the person who's accused <laughs> is the person that's the most harsh on, on those people because they really know what's going on in the mind of the person they, they kind of get. Uh, and that's something that the rest of us frequently don't understand. Yeah. reality behind it. So that's really interesting. So how do you work? How do you work these people? I mean, so we have a system, it's a great system. The fact that our uh, congressional system is broken, the judicial <laughs> system seems to be working pretty well. Uh, <laughs> the legislative part isn't going that great, but the, uh, the judicial part really generally does work. Uh, and, and maybe there's room for improvement because there are uh, there's lots of accusations that people of color don't get a fair shake and all sorts of things. And maybe we need to work harder at that. Uh, but let's say that by and large, it does work pretty well. How do you get people to, uh, to see things your way? Well, I start preparing every case for trial by looking at the other side's evidence and, and trying to figure out how I would get over that, um, whether I'm, I'm I was doing a personal injury case, trying to represent a plaintiff, uh, or in a criminal case, representing the defendant, I look at the other side's case first of all for for areas that are questionable and areas that I know that they're going to have to sell, and I come up with a kind of weave a story around it. Uh, for instance, I just had let, let me tell you about a case I just just had. We didn't try it, but but kind of interesting. A man is living with his wife, and there is a stepdaughter who is 15 years old, and the wife believes that the man is um, running around with another woman, and she decides to throw him out. Now, the stepdaughter, he has sort of raised since she was three, and she's now about 15. And she, out of the blue, alleges that he attempted to, to thrust his hands into her gym shorts while they were laying on the couch. Totally fabricated story. Totally fabricated. Um, and one of, the, one of the indicia of that is the fact that two weeks before trial, the state finally dismissed the case because they knew it was not, it was not good. So here we have a, a case where a 40-year-old man is accused of trying to put his hands in the gym shorts of a 15-year-old girl. Pretty ugly accusation. 
So I had to go and look at that and, and come up with, first of all, why would, why would this girl make this up? Well, maybe she would make it up because she was angry at him because he had been the only father figure that she had known since she was three years old, that her real father had abandoned her. And he betrayed the trust of the family by going out with another woman and hurting the mother and, and also hurting the daughter. And she needed a way to get back at him for this in a very unsophisticated juvenile way. She needed a way to get back at him for this transgression. And she made up this story. So you're saying that you, that you, you get the backstory and that helps you to create your argument. Yes, because once I can put that together and explain to the jury, I would say, perhaps in Bordier, I would say, now, ladies and gentlemen, have any of you ever been divorced? Well, yes, hands are going to go up. Have any of you ever been accused, rightfully or wrongfully, of, of running around with another person while you were married? Yeah, some hands are going to go up. Um, have any of you ever uh, 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 seen how, yeah, I can't even come up with something right off the top of my head. Wayne, Wayne, do you eliminate those people because they have experience? or or Depends on how you answer, and then I will go into it further. So... Mrs. Smith, you accuse, you say you accuse your husband of, of running around. Uh, did he admit it? Did he not admit it? Did, did you get divorced? What happened? How was your relationship with, with uh, the kids? Were they your kids? Were they stepkids? So I have to go into a whole lot more than that to find out whether or not I think they're qualified or whether or not they're going to see things my way. And through that discussion, Joel, to, be, uh, to take it a step further, to go into your, your whole theme here of the inside track, through that discussion, I'm either winning you over and getting on your personal side or not, and then I'll eliminate you if not. So you know, if, that, that kind of brings up the whole issue of, uh, of likability. Oh, yeah. I, re I remember that, you know, if, if, uh, if somebody was uh, cantankerous or unfriendly or disrespectful, uh, you know, you can't help but uh, it can't help but color your judgment. You know, like where you go, nah, I don't know if I really believe what this guy's saying, you know, it really does because facts are not really facts. Facts are kind of like, uh, you know, maybe facts. And then you have to, the jury's got to determine if they really are facts. And, and so uh, I, I remember that, that whole experience and it, uh, and what you're saying resonates so true for me that uh, either, uh, you know, you're likable or you're not. And by the way, that is not only in a courtroom. That has to do with everything, everywhere in your life, especially in places like sales. And all of us are in sales for some things. So being likable is really important and understanding, seeing other people's perspective. The, the old saying about people do business with people they know, like, and trust. They might not know the lawyer at the beginning, although I hope they come to know me through Vordire because I'm going to, in Vordire, I'm going to let some of my person in there too, in the way I frame my questions. So, um, Mr. Uh, Higginbotham, um, a lot of people feel that being accused of a, a, a sex crime is a really horrible thing. And how do you feel about that? I, I know that I would think it's a terrible thing to happen to, to a person. What, what do you think about that? So you try and 
let them know a little bit who you are or, or things. I'll throw in something I did or, or you know, I, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a trip in Vermont and I was, uh, you know, picking peaches. Um, how does that, you know, work that in? So you want them to know you, you want them to like you and you want them to trust you. You can't, you have to establish a relationship with those people in the very beginning. If they, if you don't have a relationship with them from the very beginning, then, then you're lost. You know, you know, Wayne, what I really like about this discussion is the ability to generalize what you're talking about from a specific situation, which is working a jury. You're kind of talking about picking the jury, not really working the jury, yeah. but picking them at first. But this what you're talking about really applies to salespeople, marketing people, HR people. I mean, it, it applies in every part of our life. You know, it applies to uh, how we parent, how we uh, be a spouse, how we do everything, because uh, being likable, being believable, being trustable, uh, you know, and, and, and being credible, uh, that's what you're talking about. And if, if they get a bad sense about you, then they're just going to stop listening like our customers stop listening because the jury's not your customers, but they they're sort of your customers for they a little while. Customers. I'm going to ask them to buy what I'm selling at the end yeah. of this case. Yes, you are. So in a certain way, they're sort of like your customer for a couple of weeks. Absolutely. And no, uh, that's a, a perfect summary because that's what it is. These people, I have to sell them my case, my theory of the case, my, my outcome of the case, my, uh, my result, uh, my intended result. You know, I, I always talk about, you know, sell, I love selling. And, you know, I, I always talk about selling that it's really very simple. It's about getting someone to say yes. And in a certain way, your whole goal is to get the jury to just say yes to your side of the story. Absolutely. That's, that's that in, in a, in a single sentence, a little teeny phrase, just get them to say yes. That's it. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and you do that. In the board, in the board dire, if I'm trying a criminal case, I will work in questions where I will make them say the words "not guilty" during the board dire. Okay? Oh, you really? How do you do that? Well, you understand, don't you, that the person that sits here, Mister uh, Green, that's sitting here next to me, has the presumption of innocence. You understand that, don't you? Yes. Okay. Of course. And, <laughs> You would follow the instructions of the jury uh, that the judge gives you, right? Of course. And so if he if he gave those instructions to you right now and you hadn't heard any evidence at all, how would you vote? (laughs) I'd say not guilty. Okay. All right. When you're too much, that that is that is too funny. Now, let let me just um, just back up for a second. there's litigation or litigators, and then there's trial attorneys, and they're not the same. So, you know, no. would you kind of explain that to us? Because lay people don't always understand that not all attorneys spend their life in courts, in courtrooms with juries. In fact, hardly anybody ever does. It's very rare, really. Yes. Litigators are people who make their money doing everything they possibly can to eventually avoid going to trial. Um, litigators create a lot of paperwork. That's why you don't find any litigators in the criminal business because there's nothing aside from a motion here or some, a few motion to suppress, uh, a deposition here or there, there is not any 
out, out of the courtroom um, activity in the criminal business, in the, uh, well, the commercial litigation, for instance, and I've done some commercial litigation. I, I was called one time. As a matter of fact, I met my lovely wife, Rebecca, through a situation where a another lawyer called me and he said, uh, we've got this huge case going on and there are a, a number of big corporate defendants. I think there were six of them. And he had been representing two of them at the time, which was okay. And then at the last minute with some pleadings that were filed, it became a conflict of interest for him to represent both of them. So he called me probably six weeks before trial and said, would you represent this company? And I'm not going to mention the company, but it was a big nationally traded in the news a whole lot over the past year. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got an idea about who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And would you represent them? And he, he said, all you have to do is try the case. You, you, we know you, you, know, you have a reputation as a great trial lawyer. All you have to do is try the case. You don't have to do any discovery. It's all done. We're gonna we're gonna give you all the file boxes. And and which so which side were you on? You were on the side of the. I was defending that company. The def and so they were the defendant. Somebody they were the defendant. The plaintiff had alleged that they had defrauded them in a mortgage situation, uh, and uh, had had wrongfully foreclosed on their property. Yeah. And so they had title title companies in and mortgage companies in and, and this happened. You know, being, being in the real estate business, uh, you know, I, there was a lot of accusations about this. Th these banks are not inaccurately foreclosing too much, but but there there was a lot of accusation about that. And, you know, so. But well, anyway, uh, to go to the end of the story, I, I won for my guy. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's but, good. Well, but you, so I, they gave, I went down, so they gave me, I, it had to be a dozen bankers boxes full of papers, that they had generated all of this paperwork beforehand. The, so the litigators generated the paperwork, and then at yeah. the 11th hour, they flip it to a trial guy who is used yeah. to dealing with attorney, with the uh, juries and the judges and the, and the being inside the courtroom. And that's a really important distinction that 95 or 98% of all the attorneys are litigators. They're not trial attorneys. The trial attorneys are the ones that are actually uh, you know, in the courtroom working with the juries. Yeah, yeah. So you so you have a lot of people who uh, they just do they just do litigation, and and it's it's I say it's designed to keep you from getting to court because it just becomes for one thing it becomes terribly expensive. Now big corporations can stand it; they they build it into their uh, their budget. It's not a big thing. I will tell you another story. Where I, I defended a company uh, again, a huge manufacturing company that you would know the the, the name of in a case and give you the short version of the case. I settled it for $140,000, which is what the plaintiff wanted. He had filed a lawsuit for like $6 million in punitive damages. And I looked at it. I looked at what his case was about. I called him up and I said, you know, I, I do what you used to do or what you're doing plaintiff's work. I know what this case is worth. What do you want? We gave him $140,000. When I talked to the general counsel of this corporation, he said, that was really great. We had set aside $250,000 for your fees alone. <sighs> I said, well, that's great. My bill at that point had come to $5,000. Oh, my God. Because I'm a trial lawyer. I'm not a litigator. I don't want, I don't want to earn $250,000, $300 an hour at a time. It's too much work for me. I don't try the case and win 
Yeah. And and you mostly do criminal, right? So that's uh, No, I do mostly. Yeah, mostly criminal. I mean, uh, what kind of crime what kind of crimes like hardcore ones or like uh, DUIs or, or from a, from a murder from a murder to a uh, speeding ticket. Really? Sure. Wow. Sure. Yeah, I just uh uh just got hired on a first degree murder case, a very interesting case. It, uh if it goes to trial, I wouldn't be surprised it's one of those kind of cases that ends up on Dateline or Really? Or, uh, yeah, yeah, fascinating case, but I can't really I certainly don't want to talk about it here. No, no, it's, uh, understood. So, uh, so listen. So, if somebody gets himself into some trouble, uh, what's the first thing that a person should do? I know what I told my kids if they get in any trouble. What, uh, what, what do you recommend? The first thing that a person should do, if if you know, and you talk about getting in trouble, let's assume that you're you're apprehended by the police and accused of something. The first thing that you have to do is remember not to make any statement at all. Right. Now, I, I, I have friends, a client who I represent some businesses still, and guy runs a, a cigar store, and he always talks about if he got arrested, he'd tell them he doesn't know anything. And I keep going, Joe, no, it's, I'm not going to say anything. Not I don't know anything. And, and that's the difference. Make no statement. You have no obligation to make a statement. I know you want to talk your way out of this. Everybody wants to talk your way out of this, especially if you believe you're not guilty. But you really don't know what's in the mind of the person that you're talking to. You don't know what's in the mind of that police officer who's interrogating you. You don't know whether he's he's talking about exactly the same thing you are. I'll give you an example. Here's a perfect example. I'm working on this case right now. Guy's indicted on 10 counts. He goes to a bar he, on the parking lot. We've got it on a videotape. On the parking lot, a girl approaches him, and he says, you know, says, can I go home with you? Get, you see her get voluntarily in the car. They go to his house. They have sex. She screams rape. Now, when they come to talk to him, Rather than saying, I don't want to say anything, he then goes into a long story and lays out his whole story as to, to how he saw it. Yeah. I want to know what they're saying before I tell them what, how I saw it. And that doesn't mean I don't make anything up. Okay. But I don't have to tell them everything. I, 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 I can withhold not evidence, but I can withhold information. Okay. If, uh, uh, I think it's strategically okay and ethically to do so. I don't have to tell them my version of the story. So the, the, an answer to your question, the first thing is don't say anything. Just you know, have an opportunity. If there's anything you learn from any of these reality TV police shows and, and reality TV, listen, the saying in Los Angeles is that reality TV is anything but. but <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that you learn is that talking does not work out well for you. And you know, they'll find some way to twist it, turn it, reorganize it. And so I, I told my kids, I said, if you ever find yourself in a, in a real serious problem and you're arrested for whatever reason, whether you do anything or not, you don't say a word and you call the attorney right away and, and let them deal with it. And that's, you know, that's just the way you got to do it. And I think everybody would be well off to take that to great advice. Well, yeah, absolutely. And somehow we've come in society to, to think that that's a, a bad thing to do. It's a constitutional right. People have given their lives for your right not to say anything. Yeah. 
Well, you know, Wayne, listen, uh, we're all about the inside track. This has been the inside track on some of the cool things that happen in your business, which is not well known to a lot of us. Uh, usually we talk about business things, but there was a little bit of business here because the jury ends up being uh, your customer. And, and that's an in- interesting uh, kind of a parallel that, that exists for you. So uh, we're all about the inside track, the inside insights, and then profit from the inside, the way that people profit from the information that we share with them. So uh, I want to just say thank you to you for participating with us and, and, and sharing a little bit. And you're, you're, you're just a, a real gentleman. Well, it's been fun. Well, great. Well, listen, Wayne, thank you very much. And uh, we'll look forward to you know, being in touch another time. All right, Jill. I'll see you at Influence. Thank you. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a giant thanks to my podcast producer, David Wolf, and his team at Podcast and Radio Networks. Profit from the Inside simply wouldn't be what it is without David and his team. For more information or to learn how you can launch and produce your own podcast, reach out to podcastandradio.com. Get the inside track on 20 top business trends for 2020 from Joel Block. Joel's insights bring Wall Street to your street so you can profit from the inside in 2020. Just text the word TREND to 72000. That's 72000 and download your free copy today. Grab your phone and get the inside track on business trends that affect you and your business. Just text the word TREND to 72000 for your copy now. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.